Yes, hello, I am James Rand. Before we start, we lost a true wrestling legend. Canadian professional wrestling star Pat Patterson, the first openly gay performer has died at the Patterson, who created you for the popular Royal Rumble event, a uh, mark on wrestling. Wrestling stars such as Dwayne The Rock Johnson have paid tribute to a man who helped so many. The cause of Patterson's death has been linked to uh, liver failure and cancer as well. His career in the industry, not just in the ring, but as a commentator and a trainer for younger potential stars behind the scenes six decades. Patterson was synonymous with making history, the W said. His name will forever be revered in WWE lore. Following the news, Johnson, the biggest stars ever, said Patterson was a father fit in an instant in the tweet that Patterson lived life with passion, love and purpose and that he will live on in my life. Chris Jericho won the WWL Championship. Mean 90% of what I'm preparing for wrestling. Charles Robinson, the referee from the greatest minds in the business all round I will miss him. Of course, Patterson began his career in Canada in 58. He accepted Patterson wrote about 17. He was in love with another man. Go Bay Area where he worked for He then joined the WWE was said by the company to have made an immediate impact, becoming the first Intercontinental September 9th. His most memorable rivalry and a highlight of his wrestling was his ongoing battle with Sergeant Slaughter. Around the time he hung up his boots in 1984, he began commentating for the industry, and in 1988 he created a Royal Rumble, described by the WWE as one of the most groundbreaking. He was inducted in 19. And hours after the news broke, WWE Chairman Vincent Mann took to social message. He said Pat Patterson was more than a help lay the foundation for WWE as we know it. His mentorship shaped careers, his creativity sparked innovation, and his friendship lifted spirits. Love you, Pat. We will meet. And from the WNR, you know, Pat Patson is a guy. You know, we see him in Legends House on the, the WWE Network, but even for Sergeant Square Square Guard, and just being the Finnish guy, you know, knowing how to, to know what as well. It is a shame that we have lost such, you know, Legends is a word used often, but for him, and uh, rest him. On to today's show, and it's the WNR 319, it's WCW in 2000. For the past five years, we've been following WCW, the inception of Nitro, WO, into WCW's successful year, Sting versus Hogan at Starcade and Goldberg Streak. But last year, the WNR realised that the product had jumped off a cliff, with the old guard in complete control. Starcade 99 had just took place, a Goldberg versus Bret Hart main event. The WWE decided to real screw job and disappoint the fan. One last chance at the pay per view. Have a look at the fallout from that and then complete disaster, which is WCW 2000. Begin with the NWO 2000 on December 20th, 1999. Just one day after Bret Hart had his brain scrambled by Goldberg at Starcade, the Hitman was back on Monday night to rematch for him for the vacant. World Heavyweight Champion. In it for late in the match, it'll be Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, that's right, that's J E double F J A double R E double T. Hulk Hogan already returned to his yellow and red gimmick. Hart, who easily pinned a post beatdown Goldberg to win the belt, proceeded to put off the big swerve, which for him meant clomping around the ring and mug the camera. Unintended to growl something into the stick, turned on. Three's bad booking of the band that was back together, a few extra bodies in the form of Scott Stein and Harris twins, only stayed that few months for good. And side to again into two. So Bret Hart, with his which did career, had them. It's Goldberg. And then on the 21st, a thunder. He lost to Chris Benoit, beat Joey Flynn, 27th. And remember, he's got a concussion here. We're going to go to the January 4th edition uh, of uh, WCW Thunder, aired on the uh, 6th of January. And it is Bret Hart coming out here, still as WCW World Champion, going to face the commissioner of WCW in Terry Funk in a hardcore match. After this, though, Bret Hart still hadn't stopped because on a live event for WCW on the 6th of January, he lost to Sid Vicious. On the 7th, 
He lost by DQ to Sid Vicious. And then again on the 8th and 9th. And on Nitro on the 10th, he drew with Kevin Nash match. And let's not forget about it. Bret Hart would be diagnosed with post-concussion syndrome. He relinquished and late that year. Hart retired from professional wrestling. But here comes the Funker. And Terry Funk has been a part of every major organisation. When you talk about what he done with ECW, a main event in the first pay-per-view in company's history. And of course, his history in WCW. And not only, you know, the later days when he has come back now, but even with a feud with Ric Flair in the I Quit match in the late 80s. Also in WWE as well. And I wonder how hard this is going to be to watch. Bret Hart in, well, I say street clothes. He's wearing these long shorts, T-shirt, elbow pads, and trainer, traditional funk garb. We've got Charles Robinson as a referee in there as well. Collar and elbow type to start. And Brett punching Funk out of the ring. Now, Terry Funk's had multiple retirements. All these multiple retirements was the last match against Bret Hart. When he was actually watching, uh, working for ECW, he faced the WF champion Bret in his hometown. It's on Beyond the Mat as well, which is quite interesting reference. See, Funk would continue to wrestle. And now he's throwing the chairs in. This is the thing, you know, it's WCW WC there. It's the secretary show. I mean, Funk has never been like the... A must-watch for any WCW fan or any wrestling fan, really. And then, you know, during this time, you've got Bret Hart, who is still a named talent, even though he, you know, people could argue he's a draw or not. Did he help WCW buy pay-per-views? But the thing is, as well, you know, you give us a Bret Hart-Goldberg match at Starcade, you disappoint us in that way. The, the finish is trying to be too clever. And then you have the rematch on Nitro. Why does it make you want to buy the next WWE pay-per-view if you're going to do that? And I think that is systematic what we're going to see in 2000. At the moment, Funk has taken a lot of punishment from Brett. Remember, Brett has got a concussion at this moment in time. And an unprotected share shot to the face of Terry Funk. It makes you think as well, what would Brett Hart do if he had never retired? You know, if he never had that injury, would he have continued to wrestle for WWE? In 2000, we've been seeing a proper comeback in WWE. Funk went down low to Brett. Now, Brett hasn't taken a lot of punishment, but he does look worse for wear at this moment in time. This is the last Thursday Thunder. It was originally on Thursday when it first started at the end of 97 into the early 98. And, of course, SmackDown had debuted on UPN in uh, 1999. And I think this is WWE's way of saying, look, we're getting beaten by, Nit- uh, by Raw against Nitro. We really want to give Thunder that chance. And let's switch it across, which kind of makes sense. But like I said, unfortunately, at this moment in time, you know, Nitro and the product self falling off a cliff, so you're not going to try and watch the secondary show. Is Funk now throwing Brett into bin full of uh, trash can and rubbish. Terry Funk just dumps Brett Hart down. You see Brett's back of his head hitting the trash can. Now Funk putting the trash can on Brett and going up. Funk went for the moonsault. Brett moved. And Brett checking the top of his head. You can see him in the crowd as well, you know. You get the empty seats. Dark light as well. Not showing the fans there. Funk takes another unprotected chair shot to the face. Now Brett putting Terry Funk's leg in the chair. Going up the second rope. He comes down with the elbow drop on the leg. And Charles Robinson arguing with Brett. And now he's got the steel chair. He's got to take up Funk and backstage. and beating up Arn Anderson. And David Flair saying he's going to go do it. Now David Flair locking on the locker room. Funk's got Jeff Jarrett, the world champ. No, sorry, the US champion, of course. Brett Nash just looking on. And here comes David Flair. Kind of just spraying Charles Robinson. And Flair didn't even make it down because Nash stopped him. And Flair thrown in the ring now, getting beaten down. Here comes Crowbar in and Daphne. 
It's uh, Nash and Funk. You can see the one set and Kevin Nash power bombs Terry Funk through the stage, and that's how we end Thunder. So a hardcore match ends, I guess, a disqualification or a no contest. You know, again, well, I mean, there are periods in the wrestling industry that fans forget the WSW for the NWO, the W, and anything. However, there are periods where so many stars align walk out. That changed the course of things forever. With Vince Russo taking over WCW from a creative state, many were finally hoping, perhaps unsurprised, Beach was a character Vince Russo had a hand in coming up with, the character was a man, but Russo couldn't with one of the worst names to ever grace the business. Bill DeMott, who made a title, like Solison, couldn't get much worse for him. Sadly, they did, because Vince Russo decided huge and instructed DeMott to go on television with a straight face and say this is his birthday. Later, DeMott formed the military theme faction, Misfits in Action, General, making him General Huge G-Rection. This was the kind of juvenile who Humilat was good for. Telling friends, the United States champion, G-Rection, was also cringeworthy for any. But Russo was believed to be many to be the master. Little problems he'd forgotten about because of the creative brain. His changes, he promised higher rankings, ratings, he promised to fix the problems. For, but walking in, so many starting, most have and going into the annual sold-out pay-per-view repercuss backbone of WCW. This is WCW in January. WCW draw Bill Goldberg due to injury after a stunt gone wrong on Thunder. Goldberg was to punch out the withdrawal arteries that would cause him to get over 40. Stealing doctors might lose his extreme blood loss. He was estimated to be out for about four months until the episode of Nitro just before the Great American Bash late June, almost six later. Before he was relieved of his duty, Eric Bischoff was pushing for Turner executives to cut night every Monday. Starting out, it was difficult to write for each Monday and keep the fans entertained every week. Take WWE's today. Turner executives were crest upon his thing. Finally, be after sold out that night during a three-year run that began in January 28. Average rate in this case would make things better for WWE every week. For the low third hour, bringing down the overall two hours. Ric Flair and WWE at odds again. Flair was originally scheduled to work the previous month's Starcade Benoit. However, for multiple reasons, such as no longer after the match, the biggest one that he wanted to add. Russo tried to convince Flair to do the match by booking him to win. Felt Benoit was ready to be in the main event and losing to Jeff Jarrett would face Benoit in that match at Starcade while Flair tried to wait as, as possible. After three months of Russo's run, nothing had changed. Backstone morale was an all-time low and ratings were still plummeting. Russo would give the standard and practice excuse on a regular basis to say that his ideas were being held back. Everyone in WCW was beginning to see that Vincent Mann was the one with all ears, not Russo, or well, pay-for-you numbers were beginning to come in from Starcade. And it appeared disastrous. The show head on with Jarrett and Benoit for the US title and Goldberg and Bret Hart for the WC with a 0.3 buy rate. The second lowest in history in full brawl. September. Dave Meltzer was speculating that total loss stuff is stopping 10 to 50,000 with 40 million. It was the most money lost by a single wrestling company over a calendar year. Eric Bischoff disputes this and says that Turner organization were ordered that the company were putting the losses onto the Wavo illegal to the question. But WWE started the new team champions. The tournament took place on January 3rd and was contested under lethal lottery rules. Long story short, David Flair and Crowbar won the titles last, defeating Scott Steiner and Kevin Nash when Arn Anderson whacked Nash with a tire arm. Hulk Hogan had to meet on the February Raw that evening. Nitro's rating would be naturally go up due to this. And Hogan for more. Who knew how to pick his spots like the ratings of return. Who so had a meeting for the roster before Nitro. So everyone there, any and all group, and ended up resulting in Kevin Nash speaking up and complaining about food and catering. And the 1pm call time when supposedly didn't give the wrestlers enough time to sleep in and hit the gym in the morning. Jeff Jack did an angle on Nitro before sold out a hell match with Benoit by wrestling three veterans at night. Jimmy Snooker, George Animal Steel, and Tito Santana that night, and the second went in with Benoit and Snooker both diving under the cage. King Kong Bunny, Honk Top Man, Bob Backlund, Nip Bop Winkle, all to a 
appear. So we'll look at the next couple of subjects. It's cards subject to change, a radical move, and a battle for tea. In the final days leading up to sold out, Russo would receive a phone call but would not be clear to compete. He was scheduled to defend the World Heavyweight Championship against Sid Vick, claiming an inability to focus and bad migraines. The hitman was diagnosed with severe concussion as a result of a kick from Goldberg. It was the hardcore match with Terry Funk on Thunder. The next day, Jeff Jout, scheduled for three stages of the hell with Benoit, told Russo that he would be inactive for the show as well because the concussion that he suffered was splashed from the top of the cage. The scheduled double main event is now non-existent. To strip Hart for the world title and book a Royal Rumble-style match in the main event, new champion. The match will see Sid Vicious enter the ring and clean out the roster until the final entrant, Tank Abbott, eliminated Sid to win the title. Russo today would claim that he intended to have Abbott drop the belt to start Nitro. However, he wouldn't see the next night. Bill Bush, head of WWE at the time, knew that there was the final straw with Russo, having been second guest to hire him. He was realising that Russo had some good ideas, but he needed someone to filter the bad ones, and the man was WWE. Bush would put together a committee for the exact reason. He removed from total 40, but was asked to stay on a committee that consisted of Kevin Sullivan, JJ Dilly Taylor, with Kevin Nash, all pre time. Russo would quit at that point, suggesting he didn't want to work with Sullivan. As for the main event matches... Well, Sid was always still in the match for the world title. Randy Savage would be contacted about coming in but declined. Flair pitched the idea of winning at the pay-per-view and then dropping the title to Hogan the next night at Nitro. Flair declined. Nash was the next option, but when pitched on it, he declined by fear of alienating the roster by being on the booking committee one night and champion the next, something he should have considered when he broke Goldberg's streak a year earlier. And finally, the decision was made to put the title on Benoit, except they didn't realise that Bruin backstage, the backbone of WCW, Lee Guerrero called him, was in the process of walking out. The day before sold out, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, Shane Douglas, Conan, Juventud Guerrero, Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman went to Bill Bush and asked for Sullivan to be removed from the new Bick and Committee on their contract. Bush asked them in time and get through the pay-per-view first. He stood to put the belt on Benoit largely because if he won the title, the thought would be that he would stay around for the title and others would fall in line with Benoit. Bush would attempt to talk to each wrestler individually to stay by promising Benoit a title, best title push, letting Saturn join the NWO on top of the, threat, the treat of a big money check on the table. W had interest in most of the frustrated wrestlers, but not all. Shane Douglas had issues with his previous run in WWE. Douglas and Mysterio and Hoover just too small in Rey Mysterio's house. Rey would join the course Hoover in five. Despite all the drama, Benoit still won the title sold out. However, the storyline was left open because Sid's on the bottom rope when special referee Arn Anson to the crossface. Bush, before Nitro the next night, would tell all talent who previously approached him that the compromise could be reached, that Sullivan would run the syndicated Saturday night show and not have any involvement to Nitro. All wrestlers agreed to this, and all was fine for now. But later that day, Bush suspended immediately, with the exception of Benoit, because he's world champion and claimed to have big plans. Benoit would find all this. He chose to still walk out with his friends, telling Bush, if they're going home, then I'm going with Benoit would hand referee Nick Patrick the title belt in the parking lot for meeting Eddie Guerrero, who had just shown up and found out what was happening. They quickly left, and the WWE World Heavyweight Championship was now officially vacated. So what an absolute shit show going on behind the scenes at WCW. But what about the pay-per-view? Well, Jarrett was stripped to the US title during sold out, but win it back the next night. Why? Because of WCW. Nash was booked on the show to defeat Terry Funk to become commissioner of WCW. In his defence, it appeared that this was already in the works by Russo before Nash was on the book. Abby Johnson debuted on a show and was known as Big T. He was in horrible shape compared to his WWE run three years earlier, which still was. He would begin a feud with Booker T over who had the right to the letter T. Yes. Letter Medusa. 
is the WWE Cruiserweight Championship feud with Oklahoma FRR right for WWE leading to a pay-per-view sold out. And Dean Malenko versus Billy Kidman is what we're going to watch right now from sold out. So it is January 6th and we've got all these things going on. But at this moment in time, Billy Kidman has got three tough matches coming up. So this is a catch-as-catch matchup. And if Kidman can get that, he's got a bunkhouse brawl with Perry Saturn. And a cage match as well for Kidman. But we start off, and the rules are quite simple here. You can go outside, catch as catch can. And this is how we're going to uh, get into the pay-per-view. Like we said, card subject to change. But Kidman has not been happy recent times as well. The same with Dean Malenko. But Malenko's such a great wrestler. You can see the takedown there. You know, the thing is as well, weirdly enough, in 2000, like, you know, the fans were obviously not buying the pay-per-views. They're not sending out arenas, but there's still more fans there than there would be, uh, you know, like I said, most independent wrestling or even um, Impact, as it has been in the past, or TNA. You have got the talent, it's just there's no direction. And now Malenko's got Kidman in the head, managing to get out of it low. Right hands to Malenko. Big right hand reversed. Malenko holds onto the ropes, but Kidman managing to roll through the right hands. And Malenko rolls to the outside, and that's it. I mean, the rules are you can't go to the floor. That's what Tony Schiavone has said. And the match is over for getting told. And Robinson wanted Malenko back in to continue the match. And there you go. A pay-per-view match ending like that. Dean Malenko on the rules. And just two and a half minutes in. Rolls out and loses. There you go. That is WCW. And if that wasn't bad enough. Well, after loads too much of this five days in WCW. Benoit sat Malenko Guerrero with debut and Raw on January 31st. They had been granted their unconditional releases from WSW on the condition that would not have just sued WSW over anything. Conan, Hero, Kidman and Douglas would back out of signing their release and serve as suspension out of fear of leaving with contracts. The World Heavyweight Championship would stay in peril for weeks afterwards to fight, despite finding a champion to hold it. Uh, the title would be announced as vacated in the January 17th night show because of Sid's foot being under the bottom rope and of course Benoit. Sid would defeat both Harris's brother during the January 24th episode night show giving him a title shot against Commissioner Nash's Amy. Sid would win the title to end the show. However, on the January 26th Thunder, Nash would make Sid relinquish the title because he didn't pin the legal Harris brother during the handicap match. Sid won the title back that night. He would have to pin Nash once again on the January night show in a rematch, which just doesn't make any sense. I mean... This month in pro wrestling is easily one of the most difficult in history. The story of a mass walkout, the release of the head of creative on the job, world title with Limbo, and of course the story that was walking up to death's door at full speed. The company never had a chance to recover. It's such amazing talent. WWE closed its doors in March 2001, but January 2000 was the beginning of the worst year in professional for one come into February. And as much as I like the guy, Scott Hall returned to WWE, losing to WWE world champion Sid on the February 7th edition of Nitro. Hall would be inserted into a three-way match involving Sid and Jarrett at WWE Super Bowl. That would prove to be his final for the company. Lord Stephen Regal lost a career match against WWE Television Champion Jim Duggan. Regal would jump ship to WF and go to have a successful run in the company, both on and off it. And we go to the February 20th edition of uh, Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl 10, February 20th. And Tank Abbott attempted to murder Big Al. Also, James Brown uh, is <laughs> appeared with Ernest Miller, which wasn't advertised as occurring in prior to matches. So, we're going to watch it right now. Tank Abbott and Big Al. Uh, but, you know, we've had on-a-pole matches, and uh, why don't we list a few on-a-pole matches? We start with Pinata on a pole. And Russo doesn't like Luchadors, and it couldn't have been made clearer than this bomb of a match. 
Sticking these huge stores in a battle royal would have been a better choice and use of their talents. And like the nightstick match that would come years later, if Pinata fell shortly after the match started. The highlight or low light of the match was the debut of Doctor's Death Stick, Oklahoma, Ed Farrar, who became Cruiserweight Champion, mocking Jim Ross. Well, this will be the first time mainstream wrestling fans have seen Williams since being KO'd by Bart Gunn in the brawl. For I guess Dr. Death thought he's still in the tourney when he made his WCW because he ended up putting El Dandy, Hoventude and Psychosis in the hospital. It was Russo's eye, and like I said, Russo time. Well, these two men at this moment have just got each other's hand and just slapping each other as hard as they can. It looks horrible. They've strapped their hands together now with left hands and a forearm shot taking Tank Abbott down. Other pole matches where we had Judy Bagwell on the pole, which was covered in most ridiculous. Uh, I mean, just pick what's wrong with this match. Is it Buff Bagwell? Is it insert item on a pole match? Is it the David Arquette running? Is it the entire thing? Fragger on a pole. Well, Russo's best known for item reality to trash. Billy Kidman, a talented cruiserweight, one of the WWE's best workers. And Shane Douglas wrestled in a Viagra on a pole match because um, Douglas couldn't keep it up for Tory Wilson. And then we get the leather jacket on the pole. I mean, like you said, WF got Ken Shamrock and the NWA champion Dan Severin. WWE got Taylor. Who do you think got better? And out of my big Al just standing on Tank Abbott's face. Tank Abbott just pushes him off. And a huge right hand by Tank. Well, weirdly enough, Big Al is the former 911, who's a much bigger, seemed like a huger guy with a beard. Used to choke some people. Moved WCW now. I think he's been knocked out by Tank Abbott. He's got him on his shoulders, and Tank doesn't need to climb if he doesn't doesn't have to. He's climbing the ropes with Al on his back. Oh, there you go. Just dropped Big Al. Couldn't support the weight. Oh, wait a minute. What's Tank's got in his, um, he's got Tank in his hand now. Well, Tank's got the knife and holds it against Al's neck and says, I could fucking kill you with that. But quick thinking by Tony Schiavone, Tank was just trying to shave Al's beard. The only problem with that, Al didn't have a beard. So we've just seen someone threaten a murder here on WCW Paper. And we go back and it's Mean Gene. You've got Big T and uh, looks like Amid Johnson's definitely enjoyed the cakes recently. Uh, but elsewhere on the pay-per-view, well... James Brown, $25,000 to show up and dance for two minutes without being advertised for a period. He was paid for it because it felt like he could draw viewers, but nobody going to be there. This wasn't the worst about them. I mean, up until 2000, WWE never thought of just flying the members of the roster in who were required. Every Nitro, Thunder and Pay-Per-View saw them fly the entire 160-plus roster members in and each show. And people wonder why WWE money. Sid Vicious was forced to work a house show main event against Lex Luger in street clothes without the WWE World Championship due to his bags being lost in the airport. And after weeks of building Tank Abbott up as the challenger, WWE World Champion Sid Vicious ended Tank's main event run on the February 28th edition. This is good because in the WWE World Championship, which is rumoured possibility. We'll move on to March and WWE had a tour of England that got them the biggest crowds of the year. All the shows getting 10,000 plus and mostly all paid for. WWE held the pay-per-view uncensored 19th. At the event, the House Brothers won the WWE never being over with it. Also, Hulk Hogan won a strap match, touched all four corners, but only touched three and decided to prepare instead. This is Groundhog Day because they had failure at 0.77 and buys. This show drew the lowest buy rate in W at 0.36. And it just shows you, if you're going to repeat it, uh, the matches that you had, you know, Ric Flair and Hogan faced off in pay-per-view in 1994, I'm pretty sure on a clash in 1995 as well. And you've got them in 2000 when you're trying to build new stars. I think the pandemic at this moment, you know, matches that we've watched, 
You've got uh, Terry Funk, you've got Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, your Sting, your Lex Lugers. All no new stars. And the one person you want to build as a new star is Tank Abbott. We'll move on to April. And it's the Russo Bishop. They obviously rebranded themselves in the April 10th edition of Nitro. The focus of the show was the creation of the New Blood, feuding the Millionaires Club. Leads of the New Blood were Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff. However, most of the guys in the New Blood were old themselves. Though the premise was that none of the members had ever been WWE World Champion. Mike Awesome, the current ECW World Champion, made his debut attacking Kevin Nash in the 10th of April edition of Nitro. However, Mike Awesome wasn't released from his ECW contract and was forced to compete on the April 13th house show and he lost the title to Taz. WWE ended up paying ECW half a million for the ordeal and of course, you know, people go, well, that's disgusting with Mike Awesome doing that. Taz was part of WWF at the time, won the ECW title and then got jobbed out to Triple H on SmackDown that same week. So they're both as bad as each other. We then had the Spring Stampede pay-per-view where every title was vacated with the promotion of younger talent breaking through. The following men won titles with their age at the time. Terry Funk was 55, Chris Candido 28, Shane Douglas 36, Buff Bagwell 30, Scott Steiner 37 and Jeff Jatt 32. Funk was the only new Blum member to win a title. By this point guys like Vampiro, Billy Kidman with full-fledged heels, feud with Sting and Hulk Hogan respectively. The Kidman-Hogan feud was not believable since Kidman was largely a cruiserweight performer, suddenly get momentum over Hogan. The Sting Vampiro feud would just be one of the in WCW history. And just when you think it can't get any more ridiculous, Jimmy Hart wrestling a DJ on pay-per-view. So successful was Jimmy Hart rolling around with shock jock man cat Springs Fan Feed 2000 that WWE's brain trust decided to do all over again seven months later at Mayhem. Of course, the first Hart versus Cal match made Tank Abbott and Flynn look like a surefire WNR Award winner. You've probably blocked this from your memory, but legendary mama Jenny, Jimmy Hart did actually wrestle Chicago-based radio host Man Cal Muller on two separate pay-per-views. Yes, people were expecting to pay for this rubbish. There is no point comparing the Spring Stampede and Mayhem matches. They are both horrendous examples of crossover celebrity appearance. Nobody to see Man Cal effectively have a cat fight with one of the wrestling greatest nobody. And nobody wants to see any kind of B or C list celebrity in a wrestling organisation. But all of a sudden we were ready to rumble. And it's David Arquette. WWE always had a celebrity problem in that they wanted mainstream attention and big celebrities like WWE did, but he never knew how to got them. Although established sports stars Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone were big since night seven, fairly soon the company started branching out and using other ones. Most of us who weren't athletes like Jay Leno in 1998 and rapper Master P. T9. By 2000, Ted Turner's empire has been swallowed up by an emerger with AOL and WC at the mercy of a corporate executive more concerned with brands promotion. WCW was a TV show on a TV channel that happened to own and they wanted to leverage that. One of the many parent companies WCW was Warner Brothers, a movie company and an idea that was floated around frequently was making a movie about wrestling and using a wrestling company as a tie-in. After what felt like only a few weeks in development, the project began ready to rumble a movie so bad that it's subject in itself. Like, how do you make a movie about pro wrestling and have Oliver Platt as an undefeated world champion? Regardless, lead of the movie was David Arquette. Not exactly an A-list celebrity at this point, more well-known for being mad to Courtney Cox. The idea of a movie was that he played a wrestling fan and embodied the worst stereotypes imaginable. He was uneducated, downright ignorant, and believed it was all real. The movie ended with a ridiculous triple cage gimmick match to settle the world title and WCW booked their own version of the Slam Repay for you in May 2000 with Arquette expected somehow. 
Well, somehow turned out to be an episode of WCW Thunder that aired on the Wednesday before that show where LFW would put the world title randomly up for grabs in a tag team match due to some particularly hand-waving by the creative team storytelling with champion DDP team with Arquette to face Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff. Well, why Arquette was put in this position, I don't even know. Since when can you win a world title by pinning someone on an opposing team? Really, we've asked too many questions as it is. Right, let's get to the footage. And we see David Arquette pretty beaten up and getting jumped by the um, the pro, uh, pyro as well as DDP comes out. And, and then another thing as well, the WWE World Title just changed hands so often that it just didn't matter. And after it's been vacated for so long, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, it was just seeing the highlights from from Nitro as well. And DDP won the title of Nitro in a cage match with interference. It's just, you know, Jeff Jarrett's title reign lasted a week. Well, there's no referee. Oh, there we go. It's DDP's ex. I mean, DDP during this time just got betrayed by everybody and anybody. Whether it be Kimberly at uh, Spring Stampede or Canyon or David Arquette. Return on him as well. I mean, turn on him in May. Well, I don't want to give spoilers away, but, you know, this DDP was not lucky at this time. And there we go. Well, I say the action has started. Jarrett and DDP going out in ring. Bischoff and Arquette on the outside. Would you ever thought you'd say that? And we've got a brawl going on on both sides. Just Arquette, it's just it's just terrible, you know. You're seeing it now, and Arquette and Bischoff just trying to brawl. And that break of DDP on Jarrett and Kimberly taking the time for the count. I think she broke an hour on it. DDP getting in the face and sit out powerbomb, but Kimberly's still not going for the count. Or well, Kimberly went for the fast count, couldn't catch him down. DDP changes, and well, there you go. At least we get the story right. Jarrett with a DDT, and now Bischoff gets the tag. Irish ripped the DDP and a kick to the midsection. The fans are behind DDP, there's no doubt about it. Jarrett just walked him over in the corner. Bischoff gets the tag again. There's no doubt empty seats in the crowd and they're, they're not reacting as loud as they should be. But again, when you're seeing this and DDP now firing back on both men. And here comes David Arquette back. We've been battered and bruised. Double noggin knocker. And DDP's going to go for the diamond cutter. No, nearly into Kimberly. DDP lands well on Kimberly. Spear Arquette onto Bischoff. Jarrett hits DDP with the title. Arquette into the cover. Here comes the ref. One, two, three. And I think the fans realise what happened. And they're throwing stuff in the ring. They cannot believe it. David Arquette is your new WSW champion. Well, let's talk about what WSW did in 2000. You can see reaction from the crowd. David Arquette is the WSW world champion. Well, thankfully, the title reign didn't make it past the Slambury show with Jeff Jack winning it from Arquette in a triple cage match for his part. Arquette has been very caught cool about over the years. I understand his place in history as a complete joke champion. And even showing up on shows, he signed up as former world champ. He also donated all the money he made for his title reign to charity. But regardless, his four days as champion stands perhaps a low point in the history of WWE. Plus, the movie was a clip complete flop. So we didn't even have that to see. And Arquette would successfully defend the WWE World Championship against Tank Abbott on the May 1st of the night show. Before we get on to Double J World Titles. And from May 15th to May 29th, the WWE World Championship changed hands on five occasions. The series events saw Flair get stripped. Jarrett being awarded, losing to Nash, who gave the title to Flair, who lost the belt to Jarrett on May 29th. On May 22nd, Daphne won the WWE Cruiserweight Champion when she pinned Crowbar. This was the second time a female held the Cruiserweight Championship, effectively killing it for quite some time. And by the end of May, Booker T returned to an old gimmick known as G.I. Bro. Luckily, it was short-lived, we'll get onto that in a minute. 
the good as well from June 5th. Goldberg returned show and he defeated Tank Abbott. But Vince Russo, of all people, defeated Ric Flair in a steel cage match. And Kevin Nash would beat five New Blood members by himself in a gauntlet match. This would also happen. Oh, and we had Terry Funk in hardcore action again. We've seen him against Bret Hart. What athlete will be facing right now? It's a man we've seen before. It's Eric Bischoff. I didn't think I'd be seeing this much of uh, Easy E, and it seems Terry Funk as well. And um, well, Ernest the Cat Miller has come out with Bischoff. They just wiped out Terry Funk with a kick and now a chair to the face. Bischoff's got his uh, new blood top on. And of course, we've just seen him lose the world title. Oh, now he's got the nunchucks. He can use the nunchucks. And Terry Funk, though, just used a trash can on Ernest the Cat Miller. We've had so much this episode of Nitro. Now Bischoff with the nunchucks, but only hitting the trash can of Funk. Uh-oh, Bischoff takes trash can to the face. And Ernest the Cat Miller getting rid of Bischoff out the ring. Taking him up the aisle. Now they're going backstage. Well, they've gone backstage. And now Kimberly has attacked Miss Hancock. Obviously the ex Stacy Keebler. Oh, wait a minute, at the back again. Well, Bischoff looks to be bleeding a little bit. And Terry Funk's got him in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Ernest Miller trying to cheap shot on Funk. Got hit with a clothesline. Oh, and Funk DDT Bischoff. On that chair, you see Russo backstage. Well, Funk's going to give Bischoff a bird's eye view of his bare ass, And it looks like Terry Funk is just about to do a stink face. Well, here come the Marmalukes jogging down. And now Johnny the Bull slamming Funk down. Big veto of that second right elbow drop on the chair on Funk's face. Well, this is just terrible. There, there is no doubt. Such a clusterfuck. No one's come out to help Terry Funk. The DDT on Funk and now Vito and Johnny are getting Bischoff and they're putting them on top of Funk. One, two, three. Eric Bischoff is the new WCW Hardcore Champion. People wonder why WCW went out of business. You think about the world champion walking out in January, vacating the title time after time, having so beaten Ric Flair, having Eric Bischoff Winning the hardcore title. Having David Arquette winning the World Heavyweight Championship. But we have got Goldberg's return. Well, thankfully it didn't last long. He forfeited the next night at the Thunder Tape into Big Vita and Johnny the Bull. Because uh, they helped him win the title. This was their reward. So dual champion as well. Well, it's been six months since we last saw Goldberg. Like I said, getting injured with the car. And again, just poor planning from that. He didn't have to have the biggest star out. And we've seen it before, you know, losing to Cade 1998. I think is the kind of start of the downfall. He didn't know how to book Goldberg. And even now, you know, the crowd has been dealt shit after shit. And there's still an excitement from the crowd. At the moment, Goldberg coming out here. You can hear the cheers from the crowd. He is legitimate main event star. That people still care about. I should say that. He's going to go against Tank Abbott, a man they wanted to make WWE champion early in the year. The fans giant Goldberg. Like I said, first match back. And the first move he hits is the kick that ended Bret Hart's career. And now just picking Tank up, throwing him. And Rick Steiner from behind with a chair. And, and this is it. You know, coming back to his hometown, Atlanta, Georgia. The chair shots busted Goldberg open as well. That's how dangerous it was. And they even fucked this up. Oh, wait a minute. Kevin Nash is here. And he's come to help. He grabs Rick Steiner. Goldberg with a spear. And now he's going to look for the jackhammer. Huge jackhammer. Big cheer. And Goldberg wins. Well, there you go. And this is the final Nitro before the Great American Bash, which took place June 11th in 2000. Our first match, Lieutenant Loco 
Chavo Guerrero, the Cruiserweight Champion, the Misfits in Action versus Disco Inferno with the Filthy Animals. Animals attack each other. BMIA are taking the other participants out. Corporal Cajun, Lash LaRue puts Guerrero Jr.'s arm on top of Disco Inferno. He gets the pin for the win to the championship. We get the Marmalukes versus Chronic, number one contendership match. Johnny Ball misses a top right move. Vito left ringside with his hardcore championship to sit at the commentator's table. Chronic does high time and Brian Clark pins Johnny Ball for the win. We've got Mike Awesome versus DDP in an ambulance. Page wheels out Canyon's way early on in the match. Referee gets knocked out. They fight each other using chairs. Mike Awesome Awesome bobs DDP through a table. He does two frog splashes onto the third one. Kimberly comes out and hits DDP with a lead pipe. Miss Hancock comes out and drags Kimberly back by a hair. Of course, we saw that in Nitro. Makai, Eric Bischoff comes out to attack Canyon, but he misses. But Canyon gets up from the wheelchair and Dardem comes DDP to the entrance stage onto the floor. As so DDP is betrayed yet again. We're going to watch G.I. Bro now as well in action. I mean, versus uh, Perfect Sean Stage. That many of the terrible things that Vince Russo booked in creating the WSW, the rise of Booker T to main event status. It's arguably one of the things he got right. Even still, he got his horrible wrong beforehand. And here he comes, ziplining his way to the ring. Alashaw Michaels. Alashaw. G.I. Bro. Always going to make it. We well, got there. The fireworks and uh, G.I. Bro is here. Well, early in his pro wrestling career in Houston, Texas, Booker T was known as G.I. Bro. It's type of low-rent name, a low-rent gimmick that fits in the bubble independent like the WWA. At the t- bringing the name back to the table off Booker T was already established as a multiple-time TV and World Tech Team champion. Well, frankly, ridiculous. If the concept was arguably more basically given the Misfits and Actions stable a credible top performer, a note about the Misfits and Action is the most illogical stable ever. You want a bunch of WSW mid-carders for package with hokey military names, right? General Hugh Rection, G.I. Bro, Major Sash, Major Guns, Lieutenant Loco, Sergeant AWOL, and Corporal Cajun. I mean, they all sound like Starcade main events, right? I mean, I don't know if they're good as T-Bar, but again... It's going to be uh, difficult. Well, there was G.I. Bro getting the victory. And of course, Booker T. And up next, it's Shane Douglas versus The Wall. It's it's a three out of five tables. Like you said, overbooked nonsense at its best. But, you know, we're going to see how it works out. Shane Douglas giving a promo beforehand. And there's no doubt Shane Douglas on the mic was brilliant. And at 36, he's a lot younger than his body takes on. But of course, all the punch it took an ECW at the time. Pretty much gone. As for the wall, well, he's changed his appearance a little bit now as well. Of course, he had a little bit of a success in uh, TNA in 2002 as well as Malice. All the wall saying Shane Douglas is screaming big time. Hit with a gorilla press. I mean, this is two guys now. I mean, they're, tr- they're trying to have a match, but it's just so awful. I, mean, I know the wall's green and Shane Douglas battered and beaten as he all up for a nice delayed suplex. Probably the best move in the match. A nice net breaker by... Uh, the franchise as he closed lines the wall over the top. And like I said, you've got to break three tables. Oh, the wall going over one there. A the wall blocking the suplex. He's got Douglas. He puts him through the first table to choke slam. Well, the commentators are saying now, I thought it was three out of five. They got put through five tables. Oh, there goes Douglas through a second one. There you go. Commentators are getting correct now. It is best three out of five. So it's 2 0 the wall at the moment. Now Douglas just going low. And now Douglas and the wall going. Up the entranceway, and there's a ladder, and there's three tables set up. And now Shane Douglas going up the ladder, the wall following him. So the fans chart an EC dub, and the wall's got to get in position first. Uh oh, and the wall's got Douglas. Gonna try and choke slam him. And the wall now going for choke slam. Douglas stopping at right hands. Wall's teetering. Well, there was only 
looked like two tables stacked up, but I think there was another table with black cloth over it. And Douglas sends him off, so we saw five tables break. It was just a cluster. It really, really was. But let's hope things can improve <laughs> at the Great American Bash. We've got Tank Abbott versus Scott Steiner next. The silent match, and before the match begins, it becomes two on one with Abbott and Rick Scott. Abbott and Rick Skarner versus Scott Steiner. Abbott hit Rick with a chain and protected his brother. Scott uses the chain on Abbott and then applies the Steiner. Up next is Kidman versus Hollywood Hogan. If Hogan wins, he gets a top shot at Bash for the Beach. If he loses, he retires. The referee is Horace. Hogan uses his belt on Kidman. Kidman drop kicks the chair in Hogan's face. Hogan hip tosses Kidman onto the announcer's table. Tori comes out, but is accidentally knocked off the apron. Kidman uses brass knuckles, but only gets a two. Kidman knocks out the referee. Tori gets up and low blows Kidman. Hogan then uses the brass knuckle on Kidman. The win. And right afterwards, it's another retirement match. It's David Flair versus Ric Flair. If Ric Flair loses, he will retire. The entire Ric Flair family is at ringside for the match. Vince hits Ric with his bat and handcuffs him. Reed comes over and low blows Vince. The referee unlocks Rick and Vince. Rick does a figure four leg lock on David. David taps out, giving Rick the win. The Flares accept David celebrate in the ring. Our next match is Vampira versus Sting, Human Torch match. Early on the match, Sting is doused with the gasoline. They fight to the entrance way in the big screen. They climb up, but halfway, Sting falls off. They get back up at the top of the screen where the torch is, and the lights are flashing on and off. And here we go, we can see it while they're fighting. About 40 feet up, both of these men are. Now Vampira's got the torch. We can hardly see anything up there. And Sting's trying to fight him off. But Sting's on fire. And Sting's 40 feet. And the commentators are trying to uh, sell this as much as they can. And we see referees, EMT, securities. Just trying to put Sting out. Well, commentators don't know how to sell that one. And I don't know really how to explain it. Sting was back up and running before long. Well, the main event is Kevin Ash versus Jeff Jarrett for the WCW Heavyweight title. The cat comes out to announce a guest bell ringer. Conan guest timekeeper, Rey Mysterio guest keeper, Disco Inferno guest ring announcer and Hoovertude, and guest second referee enforcer, the Cat. Match ends up in a crowd of full pack Nash. Conan hits Nash with the bell. Nash then uses the belt on Jarrett. The referee is knocked out. Jarrett does a stroke and gets two. Nash does a choke slam but only gets a two from the Cat. Something got his eye before he counts to three. Nash then does a power bomb to the Cat. Well, Rick Steiner then comes out to attack us, does Tank Abbott, but Scott Steiner stops him, and the Goldberg monster truck enters the arena. Well, Goldberg's music plays, and a complete mess of a main event. Goldberg might be here to save it. And Goldberg spears Nash. Hug. They're Russo's biggest idea. Their biggest baby face. The man who had the biggest reaction was to turn heel and join the New Blood Stable. Jeff Jarrett is World Heavyweight Champion, still, and Goldberg has turned his back on him. And here comes Russo Bischoff, chanting, Goldberg sucks, and Goldberg with Bischoff and Russo. And what a weird moment. Did they think at this point that Hogan turning heel would have a reaction? And the man that they loved, you know, there's good heat, there's bad blood, and he's New Blood right now. And we try and move on from that. Well, Ric Flair lost a handicap match against Russo, Vince Russo and David Flair on the June 12th night. Trailer lost before Flair into retirement and his hair was shaved off. Lance Storm made a surprise 19th night, Joe. Bit of good. Um, and the, in an attempt to get Goldberg over a hill, he destroyed cancer survivor Jim Duggan on addition. 
Um, Duggan was now September 7th, 1998, late did cancer, he underwent successful surgery. And because the cancer was detected very early, no chemotherapy was needed. He wouldn't wrestle all 90 days. And uh, in the match with Jim Duggan, Goldberg, again, that was pretty distasteful as he's working over the um, the kidneys of them. Well, that was June for WSW. We move on to July. And for comedy purposes, the idea to have Tank Abbott becoming a Seth's fan with free count provided some entertainment moments for WSW. He often danced and sing with the group during the summer feud with the Young Dragons, who appeared to get started third edition of Nitro. Woody, a WSW production worker, was involved in a feud with WSW Tag Team Champions Perfect Event. Sean Stacey out in Chuck Palumbo. Woody got some revenge on the duo on July 5th. Thunder. I just thought it was a waste to focus on non-wrestlers on television, especially when they go over actual, even if the wrestlers aren't very good. And just when you fit Hilberg and if that can get worse, we move on to... So July 9th, Bash at the beach, and there was an awful graveyard match between Vampire and a Demon. I mean, the whole feud was awful. But the bigger story was Vince Russo returned to WSW in June 2000 after taking a brief hiatus. At this point, WSW was already in its worst year, and the damage of the company itself left him one uncertain. Vince Russo wanted to push Jarrett a chance to main event status. He began this a few months earlier when he pushed Jeff Jarrett to win the WWE Championship and did exactly that. There was no problems with Russo doing this because the majority of fans wanted to see more talent. They had really become main event and some of the talent had really been before Russo came to WWE, left for WWE and became bigger stars. The only thing that somewhat prevented this was a big name talent such as Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash and Sid who were all still in the main event scene that year. You can imagine the politics going on backstage during this time. The bigger names are the mid and lower cards. A week of the show, John Laurinaitis had a meeting. John told Hogan Russo wanted him to lose the WWE Champion Jeff Jarrett at the show. Hogan did not like the idea and called Eric Bischoff to talk to Russo about another idea for the match. The plan was that his purpose was for Hogan to win the title, leave WWE with a championship, have Vince Russo set up a new tournament to crown a new champ, and then Hogan would return at a later date as a real champion. Similar to how CM Punk and Cena were both champions at the same time in the summer of 2011. Hulk Hogan as a real champion versus the current champion would have been booked for with full brawl Halloween Havoc at that year. Vince Russo did not like the idea, but due to Hogan using his creative control clause in his contract, Hogan figured Russo would not change the plan. Bruce Russo stated on kayfabe commentaries that the plan the entire time is no matter what, Hogan was not leaving with a belt, Booker T was. So we get on to the day of the show, and at the day of the pay-per-view, about two hours before the show began, Eric Bischoff talked to Vince Russo the moment he arrived at the arena. Bischoff told Russo to talk to Hulk Hogan about the match. Hogan told Russo that she'd win the double championship because he needed the title again, but he would not work the show in protest. Hogan then asked Russo what would happen if it was real and that he beats Jack with a shoot. Vince Russo then told Hogan if it was real that he would go out and cut a promo towards Hogan. Vince Russo then pitched the Booker T vs. Hogan match for both WCW championships down the line. Hogan liked the idea, but as this was about to happen, it was not what they expected. So we go. And the match started, Jeff Jarrett's music played, but Vince Russo made his entrance, followed by Jarrett. Hulk Hogan then made his entrance, and as soon as the bell rang, Russo told Jack to lie down, which stunned Hogan. He announces and even the crowd. Russo then threw the belt in the ring and walked off. Hogan then got a microphone and said the infamous line, that's why this company is in the damn shape it's in, because of bullshit like this. As he put his chest for the free count, Jack left the ring afterwards. Hogan became the new WCW champion. Hogan then left the ring to walk to the back. And what happened next during the Sting and Vampira skit is that Hogan and Bischoff left the arena to go to the plane. Vince Russo returned to the ring to not only cut escaping promo at Hogan, he fired him as well and rebooked the main event as Jarrett will now face Booker T. Hogan and Bischoff was not aware of the promo Russo cut until they landed, the location a few hours later, and Booker T defeated Jeff Jarrett to win the first ever championship. Well, everything that had happened before Jarrett lied down was part of the pitch plan. The only people that knew about this was Hogan, Russo and Bischoff. This was an example of massive communication as no one knew that was real and what was not in this situation. 
Hogan then sued Russo for defamation, which was settled a few years later. Hogan would never return to WCW. Vince Russo stayed for a few months. Booker T would then win the WCW Championship three times. In WCW, then signed to WWE. And of course, Jarrett stayed with WCW, but then formed Total Action. And of course, um, that had involved Vince Russo with it as well. And there are different versions of this story told by Vince Russo, Jeff Jarrett, Booker T and Eric Bischoff. Well, we move on. And one of the moments that probably sounded like it worked for paper, anyone noticing the massive clangor. On an outdoor night show in 2000, Hulk Hogan stood in the ring hyping a future match with Sid Vicious, but suddenly the camera announcers picked up the pinprick of a figure to the top of the building, at least a mile away from the ring. When the camera zoomed in on him, you could at least see he was gesturing menacingly in the direction of the show, but somehow without the belly in zoom lens, Hogan immediately identified this faraway man as the Wall Brother. It really was completely inconsensual, and it was simply a different way of her usual heel of the month challenge Hogan, but the fact it was allowed to play out without any question of logic speaks volumes about WSW standards at the time. On the July 10th edition of Nitro, Alan Funk debuted as the homosexual character known as Kiwi. Also, Lenny Lane showed up signs saying, Use me in the crowd. They wasted both talents. Goldberg lost to Booker T on the July 4th edition of Nitro in three minutes. Yes, it's a great victory for Booker T, but kind of devalues Goldberg. And Judy Bagwell started the feud with Canyon on the July 26th edition of Thunder. Yes, Judy Bagwell, as in Judy Bagwell, on a pole. In August, Canyon team with Pamela Paul shocked the backstage interview against Buff Bagwell and Judy Bagwell on August 7th. The match featured a run-in for Mean Gene, who essentially cost Canyon the match with a low blow. Also in the August 7th edition of Nitro, Vince Russo provided some thoughts for the company, which included wanting John Rocker in a match so he can kick his ass. He put it to crease ratings for the company. It's a running joke that Vince Russo had a bonus for pole matches, whether it's a title bout, Pinata, Viagra, or Judy Bagwell. There wasn't anything Russo wouldn't host up for wrestlers to fight over. Well, we had some good Lance Storm challenge WCW World Champion Booker T on August 7th, who, and Lance Storm held three titles, and this meant, made sense from a story perspective, and it was a good match. However, during the match, Mike Awesome, a large room of four the match, apparently WCW can't allow a good match to go without distraction. Also, on August 9th, Canyon and Mark Madden battled Buff Bagwell Mean Gene. I get the humour part of it, but it's just a waste of time for other guys who need it. New Blood Rising saw Judy Bagwell on a foot truck. <laughs> David Arc. Ket appearance, Lance Storm getting jobbed out in a match with Mike Orson three times and still winning because Jack Rougeau was a crooked official. A triple match between Kevin Ash, Scott Stein and Goldberg. Um, the match broke. Goldberg decided not to take the powerbomb, which Nash noted to him was the finish of the match. Nash eventually won the match by pinning Scott Steiner. While the whole storyline was awful, on pay-per-view, he caused Goldberg to become a good guy again and he should never have been a heel in the first place. Literally three matches from New Blood Rising happened on Nitro the next night. Storm vs. Awesome, Nash vs. Stone and Booker vs. Jarrett. What is the point in buying a pay-per-view? And the feud between Mark Madden and Mean Gene continued with a street fight on the August 16th. Thunder. So watch this right now. Mean Gene in action. And you know, you might say, well, he's more well known for uh, shilling WSW's premium hotline. You know, one Or, you know, well, let me tell you something. Mean Gene with Hulk Hogan. Or making cameo appearances as a legend. But he did lace up his boots and he did that four times and he never lost. You know, a quick check of the rest of the match archives feels that Gene worked twice for WWE and twice for WCW during his broadcasting career without losing. More impressive than the gap of 27 years between his first and final bounce. The first happened in 1984, tag match with Hulk Hogan versus George Steele and Mr. Fuji. And the last was another tag in 2012 with Sheamus opposite Alberto Rio and Daniel Bryan. 
Elsewhere, Oakland team with Buff Bagwell against Mark Madden and Canyon working a street fight against Madden on two episodes of Thunder in 2000. And Mark Madden there showing his belly. And these two men going to get it on. Well, Mean Gene with a couple of forearms taking Mark Madden out. Or Madden with a slow takedown. And now Mark Madden just choking out Mean Gene. Here comes Norman Smiley. Well, the Ravers come out. King Norman Smiley. But here comes Vito. And Mark Madden needs to pull his jeans up. I mean, this is just a waste of TV time as well. But Mean Gene up. And Mean Gene with a right hand. Shoulder up. When he went for the cover, I think Mean Gene fell on him. And Mean Gene trying to get up now. This match is not in slow motion, even though it feels like it. And Madden putting Mean Gene. And now Mark Madden going up. Here comes Pamela Pullshot. And rolling Mean Gene out of the way. And a huge low blow. Madden down. Gene into the cover. One, two, three. And still undefeated Mean Gene Oakland. Oh my God. I mean, fuck, really. Like, I mean, it's ridiculous. And then it's just ridiculous. And Mean Gene getting a victory here. Wow. Well, we move on. And the Chronic and the Harris Brothers feuded for whatever reason. They had a House of Pain match on August 28th. It was dreadful. Booker T was the WWE World Champion for just over a month when he lost to Kevin Nash on the August 28th edition of Nitro. You know, because Kevin Nash needs to be champion. And to continue the wackiness, Bret Hart met Goldberg in a desert who had Vince Russo with him. In the end, Hart Goldberg with a shovel. It was weird since Bret couldn't wrestle anymore due to concussion he suffered in the match against Goldberg. There was never a payoff. September. David Flair and Stacey Keebler are going to get married on September 11th. However, it was revealed that David wasn't the father of a child. Full Brawl 2000 saw an awful chain match between Chronic and the Harris Brothers. A scuffle match that saw Kidman team and producer against Shane Douglas and Tory Wilson. Plus the Sting and Vampira feud that would just not end. Lasting a scary moment, Paul Orndorff nearly crippled himself when performing a pole against the Natural Born Fillers. He had retired due to neck injuries and probably shouldn't have completed. And it was a really scary moment as well. Well, I don't know if I've mentioned or not Mike Olsen has been transformed into the fat chick lover and now a 70s guy. I mean, why can't it just stick with a badass Mike Olsen like he was in ECW? Vince Russo became the number one contender to the WWE World Championship on September 18th. It can't much worse than that. Well, others have a difference of opinion, but I didn't think the hill turn by Jim Duggan joining Team Canada was all that great. The man had just recovered from cancer was one of the most popular guys on the roster. Even in the year 2000, the hill turn didn't seem like a logical direction to go in. And we move on to Nitro, September 25th. If you ask many people what the worst moment in WWE history was, they would say it was David Arquette winning the world title without a second of hesitation. As eye-rolling as that was, at least there was some justification. Arquette was a big Hollywood star and the win did gain him a ton of publicity. It also led to a main event angle that was sold at least a few hundred pay-per-views. As the disrespect was that have been to real wrestlers, Arquette wasn't that bad. At least he respected the profession and donated all his WWE earnings to the fans, family of the recently deceased Owen Hart and Darren Drozdov. Not only that, it was the worst WWE moment. It wasn't even the worst WWE World Title change that year. Their honour belongs to Vince Russo, who defeated Booker T in a steel cage match to win the big gold belt. There was nothing but an ego trip from a desperate out of depth narcissist, desperate for attention for himself and shock value with the audience. There was no redeeming factors for this title change, none. It was done for all the wrong reasons. It alienated the audience, made the wrestlers look weak, and put the final nail in the coffin of a once prestigious title belt that had long been on life all. But hey, at least recently so got to call himself world champion. And we can see the 70s guy, Mark Awesome, outside. Vince Fuso is dressed up in all New York American football gear, and he's used a baseball bat on Booker T. Well, all sorts of shit has been going on, really, and Russo... I mean, it's not a cage, it's more the hell of a cell that they built. With Russo again just battering Booker T. There's another EMT in the cage and oh it's Rick Flair. 
Now Flair with a low blow on Russo and figure four. And now that all the MVPs are brawling at ringside. Natural born fillers, filthy animals. We've got Sting out there, Lex Luger, Ric Flair of course. And now Booker T's going to mercifully end this. And now Booker T picks him up, kicks him in the face. Now Booker T's going to get out of the cage, but here comes Goldberg. Now Booker could have won the match, but Goldberg's stopping him. Now Scott Steiner using the uh, door to go against Booker T, stopping him getting out. And Goldberg spears Russo through the cage. Well, the hand clap and it goes off air. But Russo wins the world title from that. And then he appeared in the August 2nd edition of Nitro in a potent bill and proclaimed that Goldberg would have to break his 176 win streak in order to get never get... <laughs> this is just ridiculous. To get uh, another WWE World Championship match, making life quite difficult for the top star in the company. Goldberg's first major feud upon his news with Team Chronic. You know, the most over Bayface team in the company that's turned heel just to be fed to Goldberg at Halloween Havoc. Yay. And deep in the recess of Vince's period of creative lunacy, a match was set between Booker T and Jeff Jarrett, someone who would lay claim to the vacant WSW World Championship. Naturally, Russo being Russo, a poll was involved. Four of them, actually. And this match would decide the new champion was dubbed the San Francisco 49ers match. Fans long wondered why this match was named off an NFL team that has nothing, no role to play in the match. The truth was, it wasn't. Well, the match saw four boxes on top of four poles. Each would contain an item. One of these items would be the title belt. As it happens, the NFL team that shared the match actually took their name for the prospectors who flocked to San Francisco during the gold rush in 1949. So the 49ers actually nicknamed was someone searching for gold amongst dirt. So the match did in fact make sense, or at least it would have been, if one of 3% of the audience knew that. As aside from digging for tiny amounts of gold against mountains of dirt, is a great description for watching WSW in this era. This being wrestling. I need to tell you that title was, of course, in the last box. Before that, the competitors opened the boxes to reveal a blow-up doll, a coal miner's glove, and a picture of Scott Hall. With the final box sure to contain the title, both competitors tussled for the chance to get it. But before either could be the box of his own accord, the title flopped to the ground to be picked up, bringing out Sir Dave Penza, who promptly hands it to Booker T. But hang on, if Penza grabbed it first, doesn't that make him the champion? At least that would be fitting into the most absurd of matches. Oh, and after the match, Scott Steiner put Beetlejuice into the Steiner recliner. Well, WWE went to Australia in October for two weeks and got 8,000 plus in attendance for their TV shows. It may know for better viewing experience, but the matches and shows were actually nicely done for a larger than usual audience. Ric Flair returns to television on October 18th edition of Thunder that took place in Australia. However, Flair's appearance was getting himself involved in the David Flair storyline to find out who the father of Stacey's Charles was. David suggested that Rick has sex with Stacey and could be the father. I miss the steamboat days. And Halloween Havoc 2000 may be one of the worst pay-per-views to ever happen. The only redeeming thing was a match between Booker T and Scott Steiner, but it had a no decision. Goldberg destroys the credibility of Chronic in a match that lasted less than five minutes. And if you want to get an insight on how bad Halloween Havoc 2000 was, then go and listen to our Halloween special where we pick out the... Uh, the top 10 matches, but delve into the very worst. And Halloween Havoc 2000 is, is selected a lot in that one. Moving on to November, WWE had a brief feud with Battle Dome. It was a short-lived program that featured eventually well-known actor Terry Crews. And Mayhem 2000, DDP and Kevin Nash won the WWE Tag Team Championships from the Natural Born Thrillers. The cage match, Scott Steiner won the WWE World Championship Booker T. Steiner did become the top back in WWE, deserving the championship. Booker T would be forced out of action for nearly five months to get knee surgery that he needed for many months prior to his main event push. 
The following night, Nitro, Scott Steiner's opponent for Starcade of Zild, and it's the turning Sid Vicious. Sid hadn't been seen since spring and softball season. And Glacier, we have seen you in vignettes <laughs> promoting the return of Glacier. You know the captain didn't get over in 96. Why not bring it back in 2000? And we move on to December, and we finish with Starcade. Starcade, of course, the granddaddy of them all, starting back in 1983. Well, this is December 17th, 2000, the MCI Centre in Washington, D.C., 6,596, with Tony Shoddy, Mark Madden, and Scott Hudson on commentary. And it's the final edition of WWE's flagship show, and it looks somewhere between a bad sea show and an unfunny joke. The main event is Scott Steiner's fed against Sid Vicious, and such is life for the dying days of the company. And before we start... We've got a good idea how bad it's got for WWE. The attendances for the last four Starcades all in the same arena. So 1997 had 17,500. 98, 16,066. 1999, 8,500. And 2006, 6,500. In three years, the by nearly two-thirds. That's impossible to defend. First match is Free Count versus Noble Courageous versus Young Dragons. And this was a hell of a match. From all three teams. I've got to say it's probably the best match. That WSW produced in 2000. Definitely something to go back and enjoy. But we're focusing more on the shit. Than we are the good right now. We had Lance Storm versus a cat. Um, we know Duggan with the Canadians here. Storm has something to say before the match. Which Hudson calls a Canadian gimmick. Uh, he then rips on the presidential elections. And the cat's there. They get started. But now the women get involved. As Joan accidentally kicks the cat. And herself a dropkick from guns. Back in, the Storm Missile drop kicks Cat for no count. The referee's still getting up. Cue Duggan to pull back the board to hit Cat, but instead his half-hearted clothesline to stop the Maple Leap to make Cat tap. We'll then get Terry Funk versus Crowbar for the hardcore title. Terry goes after Daphne, but I'm sure he gets in the face after the match because he's old and therefore awesome. Crowbar still handcuff fights up and dives through Funk and the table for two. Another chair shot and head sets up the pile drive on the floor to give Funk the pin and the title. Then get Bam Bam Big like Awesome. It's an ambulance match because that's what Awesome does. Or at least did months ago before the 70s nonsense. But Madden says Mike Awesome has never won an ambulance match. But this is his specialty, right? Awesome climbs the buckle for a jumping back open in the face to start. But Big Low takes it outside and drives Awesome into the post. Awesome ducks the right hand, sends Big Low fist through the window. So let's get back to the ring because things must keep going. Both guys are sent to the announce table before Big Low backdrops him through a regular table. They head back to the ambulance. Where the driver looks as bored as the fans does. And Bigelow goes up top only to be knocked through the roof to give Awesome the win. The US title on the line, Shane Douglas versus Hugh Morris. Hugh Morris' defending will go with the old name because, you know, they're interchangeable at this point. We get no laugh and Matt is broken up and Shane gets into the pile driver but opts to pose instead of covering. Off to a neck crank for a bit before they go outside for more nothing. Shane goes hard into the post to draw some blood but another moonsault misses. That means it's chain time, but Morris breaks up with a belly-to-back suplex. Cue Charvo to throw the chain back to a stun dugs for telling the referee about the DQ. Shane beats on him with a chain post until Charvo comes in for the foul save. The Misfits come in to clear Sanders out, but Lash of Charvo and AWOL sides with start fucking just... You know what I mean? This is the biggest pay-per-view of the year for them. We then get Jeff Shout and House Twins versus the Filthy Animals. This is our bunkhouse street fight, meaning the third hardcore-based match. In a row. Um, the H1 puts Conan down. It's table time. But Ray comes out the dumps with a broom for a double clothesline. Another H1 puts Ray for a table low. Leaving Kidman mostly on his own. The Kid Crusher looks to set up a suit star. But a box to the head lets Jarrett get the stroke. 
for the pin. We then get the tag team titles, the Insiders versus the Perfect Event. And the Perfect Event is defending. This is a rematch from last month, but the Insiders won the titles, but had them stripped because they pinned the wrong man. Before the match, Flair says the title change hands if Sanders goes anywhere near the ring. Besides for being at ringside as a manager. Nash Plummer get things going with Kevin Hits and running clotheslines in the corner. Sanders low blows Page on the floor and Stage Deck gets two off a top rope clothesline. The camera misses a diamond cut to Stage Deck on the floor because Page doesn't sell low blows. In Hero, Jim Drek on her hair to get laid out as well. Nash kicks Chuck in the face and the jackknife gets the insiders the title back. We then get a recap of Goldberg versus Luger, which is happening because Luger was a big deal 10 years ago and therefore should have a prominent role in the show instead of having total like he should. Goldberg beat Luger last month, but referee was speared, so it should have been a DQ with Rakai in this rematch. This has also been stuff with Luger beating up Goldberg's trainers to try to add more interest in the match than on one scene in the first place, let alone a rematch. Well, we get no DQ added to this one, and this is our fourth hardcore-based match on a 10-match card. And, you know, when we seen... I mean, even Lex Luger just looks so kind of really puffy, you know. And, uh, let's, you know, let's not forget with Lex Luger. When he made a jump in September 95, 96 and 97, these things, you know, the torture rack was really, really popular. And, you know, don't believe me, go back and watch Nitro from that time. And, of course, in 97, Goldberg made his debut. And they had the ability to turn someone special into someone ordinary. Goldberg, of course, should have had the title, give him a fighting chance, and instead put in a match like this. Oh, Goldberg showing his power, but this is meant to be the biggest event in WCW history. And, and, you know, the fans, you can just see the disinterest in them as well. Arms folded, hands on hips. I mean, even Goldberg, I mean, don't get me wrong, upper body looks alright, but lower body maybe. Like, even the top, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's built, but there's a bit of bloatness from both men. Goldberg has been dominating on the outside, picks Luger up, goes send him in the ring post line, and Luger gets out of the way. And this is the thing, they're not selling, they're just catching their breath back. I mean, Luger looks ridiculous, especially with a hair dyed like that. Luger missed with a chair shot. Well, Buff Bagwell coming out here, and Sarge has come out of background. I've no idea why they're here. And Goldberg now going to look for the spear, finish this off. And Luger trying to use the referee, but Bagwell grabs him. Goldberg now arguing with both. Luger just punches Sarge. And now brass knuckles by Luger. And the streak may be over. Goldberg career could be over. No. Managed to get the shoulder up. Above Bagwell. Hits a blockbuster on Goldberg. But he said it was accidental even though Luger was nowhere near him. And now Luger signaling for the rack. Luger looking to end his career. Goldberg hit a net breaker. Buff just took out Sarge. I guess to turn heel. Now Goldberg. Spear. Jack hammers him up, jacks him up, hammers him down. Jack hammered by Goldberg. Uh, Bagwell hits Goldberg with a chair, and, and this is just terrible. Well, we move on to the main event, and it was Scott Steiner versus Sid Vicious, and Steiner slapped before getting slammed, and there's no count. Pipe to the back gets two, and here's Jack with the guitar to hit Scott by mistake. And also a moment, Sid covers two, but Jeff pulls Robinson to the floor and tries a clothesline. Only to have Robinson duck underneath and slide back in for the two count. Low blow sets up a T-plane suplex and McConaughey makes Sid pass out, of course, to retain. The title Steiner holds up the belt with one of the side plays hanging off and flips the fans off to end the show. Well, you can add Starcade to the list of things this company is wrecked. Looking at the show and the build-up, this is about exactly what I expected. It was nothing. Goldberg's match was an excuse to have Luke on the show for whatever reason. And the rest of the card was almost unforgettable. The show felt like a card they scraped together with whatever left over there at the time. And they slapped the Starcade Marquee name on it. 
Enough on this show felt like it mattered or seemed important or had any other purpose making sure people feel the same spots that we head into 2001. Really fun that the match at the beginning was forgotten by the end of the show due to all the other hardcore messes in the middle, which is probably the idea at some point, which is like getting over made men can get over more. Above all else, this show is disappointing. Any given WrestleMania car could be lacklustre and still think that's something special and the strength of being at WrestleMania alone. This should be the case of Starcade, but you might as well have been watching Uncensored and sold out with what we got here. What happens on the show? Well, Steiner retains the title, Sid is treated like a nothing wrestler, Goldberg wins as he always does, he's setting up a table match for a career jobber, and uh, he inside to get the titles back, and Rey Mysterio is powerbombed into a dumpster. The show was a huge mess. But in a different, much more disappointing way than the Russo shows. These things were all about someone having no idea what he was doing flying off the cliff because no one told him no. This show was a bunch of people who might have been interested at some point giving up and just fulfilling obligations with no ambitions or plans on how to make things feel interesting or important for the fans. Here lies Starcade, and it's very sad to see how it went down this. To close out the year, Jeff Jack won a mini tournament to become the number one contender to the WWE World Championship. The tournament included Mike Orson, Roman Mysterio, Lance, who be defeated in the finals. So that is it for WCW in 2000. Next year, the WNL will bring you the final three months of WCW. But until then, don't forget our follower of the week is at Sophia Mayex. At Sophia Mayex is the WNL follower of the week. But don't forget, we're across all social media platforms. Twitter, at the WNL Podcast. I'm at the WNRJR. We're also on Facebook, the WNL Podcast on. Also, Instagram. Across the Google platform, send us an email at doublepodcast at gmail.com and YouTube, Double Podcast, where we have all the latest clips and podcasts at the same time on YouTube as do SoundCloud on your phone. Also, Stitcher and iTunes, we can download, subscribe, rate, and review there. So, that is it. Our next episode is NXT Tape War Games. But until then, I have been Jay Rollins. Thanks for listening, everybody, and bye. <laughs>